written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. It is sad how quickly things go out of style or out of use. Uh, in some ways, it's actually sad. In other ways, it's actually good. Uh, what we're going to show you today, an obsolete item, we're asking you to bring in things that you know what it is, but your kids or grandkids don't know what it is. So far, I think we pretty much batted a thousand on those kids not knowing what these items are. And a lot of them have to do with technology, but there's other items. And I'm going to ask for a volunteer, a child, a volunteer, uh, to come up and we're going to give you for your, for your services, $20. This cash will be obsolete soon. Uh, do I have any takers? Any kids? I, okay, people are pointing. I can't. Oh, there you are. You want to do it? Okay, come on up. Here we go. Let's give her a hand. Hello. What's your name? Aaliyah. Aaliyah. Okay. Now, are you nervous at all? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, but you'll do anything for 20 bucks, right? Okay. So I want you to lift this. Help me lift this off. One, two, three. And do you know what that is? No. No? Okay, here. Pick it up and, and take a good look at it. Show everyone. There we go. Still don't know what it is? No. No. Uh, some of you know what it is, don't you? Uh, they're zooming in on this thing. Here, hold it up a little bit more. There, hold that right there. So this is what's called a Rolodex. Now, how many of you had a flashback? How many of you had one of these sitting on your desk? I love Rolodexes. I almost think I'm going to buy one. Do they have electronic Rolodexes where it would sit on your desk and you can flip through it? And I, I bet you somebody made that. If not, I've got the patent on it. Okay. Okay. So look inside here. Okay. Let's say you want to find somebody with the last name of T. So you look up T and then you look at the card and you have there an actual name. Let's not read it because this is not mine. Uh, this is someone from an Air Force base in Michigan. Isn't that cool? So what you do before you had a smartphone with contacts or like an outlook with all of your contacts, uh, you would put all of your things here. It was in the 1950s, I think 1956, an inventor from Brooklyn got tired of, the old way was you just have a shoebox and you throw all the business cards and note cards in there and you're digging around. Can we organize this better? So they made, and this actually isn't one of the original ones, it was more round and it had a wheel and you just flip through it. Those are the ones I really love, the, the wheel Rolodexes. So, and then you have it all nice and organized as long as you remember to type out the person's contact there. Pretty cool, huh? You want one, don't you? Huh? No. <laughs> Here you go. Let's give her a huge hand. Well done. Oh, well. Well, so far, no kid has known what these objects are. I, I think that's a lot of fun. Now, there is something that won't ever go obsolete, and it's this book. It's the Bible, and I love that about the Bible. In our, our first verse today, 
Uh, we changed up our theme verse a little bit because this is a, a great one as well. In Luke 21, in verse 33, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. Now remember that. That's an important truth. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Why does that impact our lives? Well, because what you may be working really hard on today, if it's uh, a, a vocation, a vacation, a, a house, or whatever it is, whatever you're working really, really hard on, that's going to be gone. That won't last, okay? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but Jesus said, my words shall not pass away. And so what we have here in this book we call the Bible is something that is eternal and it's living and it's, it's every, everything in here, although this is a very old book, it's still relevant today. It can tell us how to live, how to be a good dad, how to be a, a good friend. Uh, all of these, all of these life issues, we learn what God says, the one who made us, the one who knows, he gives us the instructions on that. But more than that, it tells us how to be bought back by God, how to have eternal life. And so heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words, God's word, will never pass away. Amen? Okay, so what's the series about? Well, is the Old Testament obsolete is our question. There are some in evangelicalism that have minimized or disparaged in, in many ways the Old Testament. And I, I'm frustrated by that because I can't even imagine knowing God's full counsel without knowing what's in the Old Testament. So what we're going to do is use a, a New Testament verse to use as a springboard to go back into the Old Testament and, and learn a principle. Now, the, the verse we're going to use is actually the next verse after Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He says in Luke 21, 34, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. What is that? That's a, uh, it's actually a word that means hangover. Isn't that interesting? And drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Jesus is speaking about the end times and being ready and being prepared and, and not letting anything get in the way of our Christian life. So th- we're going to springboard back into the Old Testament, and I'm going to look at Genesis 9. Now, we've been going through, if you've noticed in our series, we've been going basically through the, the Old Testament, and we've only got to Genesis 9, and we've been in this well over a year, but uh, there's so much here. So we've had creation, we've had the fall, we've had the, the world turning very violent, the first murder, and the flood. Now we are after the flood. Noah has come off the ark with his sons and their wives. The only eight people alive on the planet. Wouldn't that be eerie? And Genesis 9.18 says, The sons of Noah that went forth off of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So what this means is that you have a great-great-great-great-grandfather named Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Truly, you do. And another great, 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 that's name was Noah. That, that's what it means, right? And I think genetically, we can see that in the uh, genomes of humans, that we have uh, the, the gene variations or errors 
that can all be funneled back to, to this. And also people have studied this out and seen that uh, the people groups of the world uh, all have descended, have descended from these three and their sons. And we're going to talk about this more, but as people have studied human language, they found about 100 language families, and that's about the number of grandchildren of Noah. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that, that matches, and that would be about what you would expect as we continue in our study of the Old Testament. Uh, that because of the Tower of Babel, the peoples were dispersed by uh, different languages all of a sudden, and that's about the number you would expect. So they all went out and settled, and it makes this interesting little side note. Why would, why would it say, and Ham is the father of Canaan at the end of verse 18 of Genesis 9? Isn't that interesting? Why would it say that? Well, I believe it is because of what we're about to read, and it's to help us understand the, the conflict that would come later. Okay? There was a descendant of Shem, whose name was Abraham, and his descendants would have great conflict with the descendants of Canaan, who was a son of Ham. Okay? So that's why it mentions it here, just kind of out of the blue, anytime the Bible does that, there's a reason, there's a significance, and it does line up with what we're about to learn. So now they're off the ark. These three sons of Noah and of them was the whole earth overspread. Genesis 9, 19. Verse 20, and Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard. Now we don't know if Noah had this occupation before the flood, but for some reason he decides to plant a vineyard to be a a farmer, a tender of these uh, grapes. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the next verse, something bad did happen. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. Okay. Now we're going to talk about alcohol today because I think it's a very important topic. It's a topic that a lot of Christians don't have a firm grasp on and have compromised on, and it's led to a lot of, of bad things. Well, my title today is Noah Drinks Alcohol's Deception. I, I have been brought up to not drink. And I don't regret it one bit. I've, I've, never, ha- I've never had alcohol. And I've never had to worry about getting drunk. And I've never had to worry about hurting my wife or my children or killing somebody in a car or or blowing all of our money on on an addiction because if you don't drink you won't be an alcoholic right so we're going to talk about this and and people say pastor scudder that's not a good idea if you want a huge church you should not be preaching this message i don't care i don't care listen listen here's what i think if this is what God has said, certainly there's no doubt in my mind that alcohol, and I think all Christians should agree to this, alcohol is extremely dangerous and a hazard, a pit, a minefield. And my opinion is, let's not even go there. And and my life has been great. You know, I can't even imagine having more fun than we have. You know, when people see us at camp or when we're, we're together as a staff at a retreat, they think we drink because we're having so much fun. But we can remember what happened the next day and we don't have to be vomiting in the middle of the night or the next morning. You know, it's just so much better. I don't understand why people think it's so wonderful. 
they don't certainly show uh, the wrecked families on the beer ads, do they? They don't, they don't show the, the destruction that it's caused. Now, my dad was very much against this too. He's brought up that way. But it's because his dad, my grandfather, was a Methodist pastor, had been visiting some people and had found they were so drunk that they didn't even know they had a dead child in the house. And so, and also another, another reason that I'm so against drinking is because every Friday night in our church, we open our doors and we have uh, about 125 average or so people coming into our building every Friday night to work on addictions, to make sure that we can overcome these strongholds in life. Well, alcohol is a huge part of the addiction problem. Okay. So I see all the destruction. I see all the heartache. I see all the hurt. And that's why I'm so against uh, Christians drinking. Why should we even get around that stuff? And then we're going to go through the Bible and look at this. But anyways, look back at Genesis 9.21. He drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. Obviously, alcohol, and, and there's two, there's two different, when the Bible says wine, it doesn't always mean alcoholic wine. I'll explain that a little bit more later. But this obviously is alcoholic wine. It's fermented grape juice because he got drunk, okay, and was uncovered. Now, we might not understand how bad this would have been, but dignity was very, very important and should be very, very important in our lives, okay? But the fact that he was in his tent uncovered uh, and then what happened next is really, really bad. And But if he hadn't had wine, if he hadn't had fermented wine, then we would never have been reading this torrid, awful episode and the curse that followed. So it, it's always, it seems to me always bad, always destructive. And let me also make a point here. You know, back in the day of the Greeks and the Romans, they would drastically re, uh, dilute with water their wine and beer. Uh, that's just what they would do. They would often do it because they knew the problems of alcohol. Um, and, and another thing, they didn't have the strong uh, alcohol that we have today by distillation. That's something that we've learned more recently. And so they didn't have the, the alcohol that in that day was nothing like uh, what we have today. So, and the alcohol content, now you're not going to believe this, is about the same per serving size of hard liquors and beer and wine. Why? Because beer has the least amount uh, per, let's say, ounce, but you, they give you more per serving. Wine, they give you a little bit less. Wine has more alcohol. And then, of course, the distilled alcohols have extreme amounts, I think up to 40% alcohol, but they just give you a shot, a little bit. So, But if you look at all those sizes, the, the alcohol content is about 0.6 ounces per serving in all three of those categories, okay? So, you know, sometimes we think, well, this is I'm not going to do that, but this is okay. Uh, I'm just saying... What does alcohol do? What does it do? It dulls our judgment. All right? So do, do I need my judgment dulled? I don't. I don't. I need all the judgment, all the wisdom I can get. And so I found it very wise to avoid it completely. Okay. So we have this, this Noah, which is crazy, right? Noah walked with God in the middle of a wicked place in a wicked world for 600 years. Now he falls. Now he does this stupid thing. So what does that tell me? That tells me that it can happen to anybody. 
George Mueller was a godly man, but he would pray this in his older years. He would say, Lord, don't let me become a wicked old man. We had all better pray that we are consistent before God and we don't have any huge sin in our life that would harm not only us and our ministry, but other people. Look at uh, major popular Christian leaders. In, in the last few years, you have Jerry Falwell Jr., you have Ravi Zacharias, you have Bill Hybels, you have all these people that have fallen. And the reason is because, I think the reason is because they had staff that didn't tell them you shouldn't own a massage parlor. Or, you know, uh, you, you tell your staff not to be alone with a woman the Billy Graham rule, and that's our rule, and we, we abide by that, but, but you don't abide by that. No one, no one was willing to speak out against that. But either way, the bottom line is, as long as you're a Christian with the old nature, you can fall. Okay? So here Noah had an extremely amazing life, and then all of a sudden, after 600 years of walking with God, he lets this happen. How does this happen? Well, I think it's pretty simple. One word, alcohol. <laughs> alcohol. So let's go through some stats real quick. In a youth behavior survey, this was in 2009, they found that among high school students, this was within the last 30 days of that study, uh, since uh, after, they asked, asked, they asked the, after they asked the question, within 30 days of that question, these teens, these youth, reported 42% of them drank some amount of alcohol. Now, I don't know what the numbers are today, but my guess is it's the same or possibly worse. 24% admitted to binge drinking. 10% drove after drinking alcohol. And then 28% rode with a driver who had been drinking alcohol. Alcohol dependence and abuse has cost the United States $220 billion a year. Now, that was 2005. What is it now? That was more than was spent to cure cancer, which was just under $196 billion. $220 billion was the cost of dependency and abuse of alcohol in the United States. I don't know why Christians are so defensive about this, uh, this substance. Alcoholism improves a drinker's odds of developing cancer of the throat, larynx, liver, colon, kidneys, rectum, esophagus. It may also contribute to immune system irregularities, brain damage, harming of an unborn baby, and cirrhosis of the liver. It's estimated that 43% of U.S. adults have had someone related to them who is presently or was an alcoholic. These are sobering numbers, aren't they? And that's why... The book of wisdom, Proverbs, in Proverbs 20, verse 1, it warns us, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I want to be wise. I want to walk through this life and not having anything in my life that will cause me to stumble or other people to stumble. I like what Abraham Lincoln said. Some people are surprised that he said this. He said, liquor may have many defenders, but no defense. Isn't that great? I like that. Good old Abe. We were in a museum telling the story of the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and uh, it was the Smithsonian Museum of American History in Washington. 
and we filmed the, the actual uh, Star-Spangled Banner, the one that flew over Fort McHenry. And, but we went through the museum to see what else they had, and they had a whole section on U.S. presidents, and they had a top hat. Like, oh, that is so cool, top hat. Well, what do you think of when you see a top hat in a museum? In a presidential section, Abraham Lincoln, right? Sure enough, it was his top hat that he wore to Ford Theater. Ford Theater. It's like, what an amazing piece of history that, that we have here in the United States. But Abraham Lincoln, I think, got it right. And there's a lot of Christians, though, that are indifferent to this issue. And, and would God want, would God want us to, um, say, okay, social drinking's okay or sipping it is okay? Here's the thing. A little bit dulls the senses. A little bit harms our judgment. And so it seems to me that, yes, yeah, scripture condones and condemns uh, drunkenness, but is scripture endorsing a little bit is okay? Is, is it the quantity or the substance? Is, is that the question? Let's look at Proverbs 23. It says in verse 20, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. I don't know if I want to be associated with uh, something that will do that to you, and, and, and certainly in excess. Let's talk about drunk driving for a second. In 2008, there were 13,846 fatalities from drunk driving. That's a lot of people, folks. That's a lot of people. Alcohol, they say, even in small doses, paralyzes the inhibitions. It develops the thrill-seeking a part of your brain. It slows the thinking. It dims the eyesight. It nulls physical control. It turns a person with the hand on the wheel into a murderer. Do we want that? In the last 10 years, 155,000 people have died from drunk driving. That's just... To me, something that's just awful and hideous. And anytime I see an accident, especially if it's late in the evening or a Friday, a weekend, I always think it's probably drunk driving, and it usually is. Family abuse is another huge issue. You have a wife beating, child abuse, child neglect, incest, child molestation. There are hundreds of thousands of known cases every year, and there's many more that are not reported. Um, it's just sad to me that alcohol has such destructive characteristics and Christians are, seem to be indifferent toward that. And if in a family where one or both parents drink, the innocent victims learn how to simply survive. Some of you have gone through that. My wife uh, had to deal with that in her, in her life and growing up. And there are, they are scarred. They're miserable. Many times they blame themselves. They suffer untold misery. And become the saddest victims of all. Here's, here's an illustration of that. There was one child that said this about her daddy drinking. Sometimes when my daddy drinks a lot of beer and starts yelling, my mommy takes me for a long drive. Then we go home and my daddy has thrown up all over the floor. I don't know why my daddy likes to get sick. When I am, it's awful. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? So even when there is no abuse, Think of the financial burden of drinking, two to $3,000 a year. That's a lot of money. I'm just trying to think. I've saved a lot of money in my life. I'm not sure where it went to, but uh, <laughs> we've saved a lot of money by not doing it, and that uh, has put a strain on families, 
It's a major cause of breakup, family breakup in the world, uh, family abuse. And then crime. Crime is a huge issue uh, with alcohol. And you can tell anyone in corrections or uh, law enforcement. There's a study that says that 80% of those in prison are there because of alcohol-related crimes. Violent behavior, according to the National Council on Alcoholism, violent behavior attributed to alcohol misuse accounts for 64% of murders, 41% of assaults, 34% of rapes, 29% of other sex crimes, 30% of suicides, 56% of fights and assaults in the home, and 60% of child abuse in the United States. Whatever the number is, it's very, very high that alcohol is a contributing factor to. And these things ought to sober us as Christians. These things ought to wake us up maybe a little bit to defending alcohol. You say, well, you know, God has created it. And he said, there's nothing you can eat or drink that, you know, would uh, get in the way of you serving the Lord. And certainly, I, I believe this, there's nothing that you can eat and drink that will um, cause you to learn lose eternal life because eternal life is free. It's not by what we do or don't do. It's by putting our trust in Jesus who did everything. But I think we can also learn to have good judgment as Christians and look at something that is is so damaging and say, what's the big deal if I don't have that? Well, I, I'd miss out. I'd miss out on a lot of fun. I think you're missing out on a lot of fun by drinking. That's my opinion. Okay, look at Romans 12. Let me ask you this question. Okay. So a lot of Christians say, I don't want to give up on a a social life that revolves around drinking. I feel if I didn't drink, I wouldn't have any friends. Okay. Here's what God says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good. So let me ask you this. What good, what good comes out of alcohol? Okay. Just a, just a question. What good comes out of alcohol? You say, well, it's healthy. I need, I need a glass of wine every day to be healthy. No, alcohol damages your body. There's no health value. Unless you're trying to kill like um, an infection or something, pour alcohol in it because it kills things. Okay, no, no, there's studies. No, there's studies that say grape juice has the antioxidants that you need that's healthy. You add the alcohol to that, there's no health value with the alcohol. Okay, so what good Ask, ask yourself that question, that ye may prove what is that good, look at the verse, and acceptable, okay? Is this acceptable and perfect? Does this help you be complete in the will of God? And I, I say no, I say no. Proverbs 23, these are great verses in verse 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? Ooh, here we go. Redness of eyes is connected to woe, sorrow, contentions, babbling, wounds without cause. Okay, They that tarry long at the wine. And you say, oh, whoa, hold on. That means that those that overindulge, that's what this is preaching against. Okay, keep reading. They that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Now, somebody said this means... It's when it's in the fermentation process. And when you look at a vat of wine fermenting, you can be asphyxiated and die. Oh, maybe somebody has, but I don't think that's what this is talking about. Because it continues to say, when it giveth the color in the cup, when it moveth itself upright. So we're talking about fermented wine that is ready to drink. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stinketh like an adder. 
I think this is more than just a few people accidentally looking over a vat of ferment, fermenting wine. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. So if you, if you look over the vat of wine, your eyes behold strange women. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, this is, this is alcohol consumption. Don't look at the grape when it is red. I think it simply means if it's fermented wine, don't behold it. Don't look at it. Why? Because then you have all of these sorrows, all of these things. Uh, your, your eyes shall behold strange women. What does that mean? Thy heart shall utter perverse things. You think of all of the times that alcohol has been part of sexual immorality. Okay? Um, God is warning us. Let's listen. Let's heed. Let's learn from Noah and others in the Bible that this uh, alcohol is very, very, very dangerous. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Since the Bible talks about wine, and I'll, I'll also say this, Jesus made water into wine. That's another huge, huge thing that people talk about, and it's true. How do we understand that? If Jesus made water into wine, obviously, if it's intoxicating wine, he must be condoning that. It must be something that he's okay with. Let's talk about wine in the Bible. In Amos 9.13, this is talking about the millennium and how the earth is restored and how amazingly things are going to grow and be produced. It says that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. In other words, it's going to be so amazing and things are going to grow so fast that as people are planting, those, those that are harvesting it are going to almost pass them by. Won't that be cool? We're doing a series right now for Thanksgiving. We've already filmed the planting downstate Illinois. My wife's family are farmers. Uh, Joyce Rehoff's uh, brothers are all farmers down there. And we went and filmed the big John Deere plows and planting soybeans. We're going to go back and, and film the harvest and talk about sowing and reaping and uh, the harvest in Christianity. Uh, and it's really exciting to see that. Can you imagine the, the, the huge planter is coming along and the combines just right behind it? Isn't that amazing how, how amazing it's going to be in the millennium? Okay. And it says, the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. It's going to be growing so fast and so quick. It says, the mountain shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. So people say, well, this is alcoholic. No, it's not. This is Fresh grape juice. It's a generic word in the Bible that means one or the other. We have a word called cider. When you say cider, sometimes you mean hard and sometimes you mean regular or unfermented uh, apple cider, right? So same in the Bible. Wine is a generic word. It can be one or the other. The context tells us what it is. The context here tells us it's not alcoholic. Why? Because you're, you're, you're harvesting, you're treading it, you're drinking it. There's no fermentation process here. And also they, you know, people that say this is alcoholic wine. Well, you make gardens and you eat the fruit of them. There's no time, right, for the process to happen. Now let's talk about Jesus then making water into wine. And this is, this is very important. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus sin? Did Jesus sin? We know he never sinned. But if you say the wine... John 2, 9, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, is an amazing miracle. It's actually uh, one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. Jesus was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine, and it's uh, 
they, they, that was a huge embarrassment for the family. And Jesus tells them to collect these huge pots full of water. And they he dipped down into the water, and it's not water, it's wine, okay? Oinos is the Greek word for wine, okay? And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made, oinos, wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew, so the, the governor of the feast didn't know about the miracle, but the servants knew that that was just water seconds ago. And he called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good oinos, wine. When men have well drunk, and we're going to talk about this word here in a second, methuo, then that which is worse than that which... So in other words, you will serve the best first and the worst last, okay? And, and, and people will say, yeah, because people are so drunk they don't know the difference. I look at this differently. I think it's kind of time to wrap up this long, days-long event, and I think it's, you kind of want to send them home, so you're starting to give them stuff that's not as good. Like, oh, you know, maybe I'll leave. Um, Anyways, so, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. So that's the question. The Bible says that the people at this real feast, this real wedding, were well drunk, methuo. Now, often it does mean in Scripture, literally, they had had, too much. How do we know this cannot be drunk? How do we know that they cannot have been overserved? Because if Jesus can't sin, and Habakkuk and other places tells us in 2.15, and Habakkuk, woe unto them that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that this is also combined with that thou mayest look at on, look on their nakedness. But the idea here in, in Habakkuk 2.15 is it is a sin for you, for sure, to serve people to, that get drunk. That's why I would never want to serve alcohol with a job that I have. And, 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 and it's hard, it's a hard thing to, <laughs> Let's say you really need a job and, and you want to be a flight attendant or something and, and you kind of are forced to do that or, or sell it at the grocery store. I couldn't do that. That's, that's your judgment call. But because why? Because I don't want to ever be guilty of providing alcohol to someone that's going to be drunk and, and do something terrible. Okay. So we know that that's a sin to aid in someone's drunkenness. And so if we go back to John 2.10, if Methuo here means they were drunk, then Jesus is adding, and this is alcoholic wine, Jesus is adding to their drunkenness. And therefore, he would be guilty of sin. Here's what I think this word means. Methuo can also mean they had been well served. In other words, they had been served plenty. But if we say that this is non-alcoholic wine, this is the uh, uh, fresh juice from the grape, or even a, they had the ability to, uh, to condense the grape juice, uh, into a paste and then reconstitute it later. They had a way to keep it longer. And the ancients would say, this is some of the best wine you could ever have. Okay. So let's say it's non-alcoholic grape juice. We, it's called wine in the Bible and they are well served. They've been served plenty of it, but it doesn't mean they're drunk. Because Jesus could not have added to their drunkenness. He could not have been giving them alcoholic wine. So 
I, I think that's an easy way to handle that. And I think that's, it's, it's the, because of the character of Jesus, who is faithful to the Old Testament scriptures about intoxicants, we have to choose the fact that in John 2, oinos, wine, means grape juice. And also, R.A. Torrey, who was a pretty well-known Bible teacher, says he provided wine, but there's not a hint that the wine he made was intoxicating. It was fresh-made wine. New-made wine is never intoxicating. Okay? So just something to think about in that area. Let's continue. Let's talk about for a second the list of people in scripture that were affected, affected in a negative way because of wine. Let's think about that. Okay. We have Noah and his disgrace. Did we lose our projectors? Yes, we did. All I did was touch the black cable. That tells you how, well, there it is. It's back. Don't touch it. Okay. <laughs> think about this for a second. When we read about alcohol in scripture and people drinking, what has it led to? Well, we've just talked about Noah's disgrace. We also know about in scripture, Lot's incest with his two daughters. It's, uh, it's back on. So you guys go back to mine, please. It is not back on. It's on here. Oh, you're not getting it up there. So if I illustrate, you're not going to have that, right? Okay. So I would like to illustrate. Are you sure you don't have it again? Yeah, the guy that knows what he's talking about knows what he's talking about. Okay. Lots incest. I mean, think about that. Because of alcohol. And another incredible story, because he had to flee for his life. And next thing you know, his daughters have gotten him drunk, and they probably thought there was no one left on the planet after they just saw Sodom and Gomorrah getting toasted. And so, and from that came enemies of Israel that haunt them to this day. Okay, and by the way, the curse of Canaan also Noah's drunkenness produced the curse of Canaan, which haunts them, haunted them for years and years and years. The, the nation of Israel. So nothing ever good seems to come from this. And you're saying, yeah, it's drunkenness. Yeah, but if you don't take the first drink, you're not going to get drunk. That's what I'm trying to say here. Elos causing sin to Israel. Belshazzar's blaspheming the things of Jehovah. Azuris voyeurism of his wife to a drunken crowd. Think of this list. Why, as Christians, would we get anywhere near it? Okay? This is a word to the wise. This is one of those bellwether issues to me to see how serious you are in your Christian life. And some of you just absolutely refuse to to not um, stop socially drinking, and that's your business. Uh, I try not to ever say I told you so. I try not to ever think I told you so. But uh, I feel like it's such a dangerous thing. We should get nowhere near it. And I believe the Bible tells us it is wrong to drink. Genesis 9.22. Let's continue. What happened from this episode? Noah gets drunk. He's uncovered in his tent. Ham, <clears throat> go to Genesis 9.22. Ham, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Now we have here an issue. <clears throat> we have Ham. Now again, why is, why is Canaan brought into this? We don't really know. <clears throat> Some people say it's more than just Ham seeing the nakedness of his father. Some people say that 
there was a homosexual act that occurred here. Some, some people say there was incest with Ham's mother that produced Canaan, uncovering the, uh, the dignity of the father. But it seems to me like the simple interpretation here is Noah was drunk, Noah was naked in the tent, Ham walked in and saw him. That's what I think happened. Ham left. So what would be the proper thing to do? If you come upon this situation, especially a family member, especially a parent, you would provide them dignity. You would cover them up. You would not go and tell your siblings, right? Because now you're, you're adding to the, to the indignity. You're adding to the problem. You could have solved it right then and there, but Ham must have been quite a, a dude, okay? That he would go out and go tell his brothers probably in a way of, of, uh, you gotta see, you know, dad and see what he's doing. I'm sure he didn't like his dad for some reason. So he, he goes and does that and Shem and Japheth do the right thing. Look at the next verse, 923. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Okay. They, they did what was right. And by the way, Shem and Japheth were blessed. Now, all three had already been blessed. You say, why would Noah curse Canaan? Let's look at the next verse. Genesis 9, 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Now, again, we don't know the details. There's ambiguity here, but I think it's just, he found out what had happened. And he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Why curse Canaan if it was him, right? Here's kind of what I think about this, and then we'll wrap it up. I think this was prophetic. I think maybe he couldn't curse him because God had just blessed him. But it, let's say it's prophetic. Let's say God, God gave Noah, even though he had just blown it, had just done something stupid, a moment where he was prophesying about the uh, the issues that Canaan was going to have, his descendants. And there were multiple tribes that were uh, always trying to harm the, the people of God that came from Canaan. It was the land of Canaan, right? It was the Canaanite cities that Joshua conquered. And, and maybe it was prophetic. Uh, God knew all of that, and there was a curse that was going to go down through a descendant of Ham who had done this despicable thing. We'll talk more about that next time, and we'll talk more about uh, all the descendants of Noah and uh, the getting into the Tower of Babel. But to me, let me just say this. I think all of this episode that we talked about today wouldn't have started if it weren't for drinking fermented wine. That's just that simple. So again, this will keep Quint Road from ever being massive. I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. I just want a church of people that say, Let's keep everything out of our lives that could possibly keep me or others from knowing Jesus Christ. Let me just, let me just, for the sake of a weaker brother, let's, let's say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna carry that weight. I don't need that. That's not that important to me. It's not a big deal. You say, well, what will people think if, if, uh, I'm at a, a meal with my coworkers and I don't drink? Just tell them that you're, you know, I tell people I'm 33 years sober. Okay. So they'll respect that, okay? So anyways, just say something like that or just say, you know what, I've, 
I've decided to not drink or something. It's no big deal. People will eventually respect you. Yeah, they might look at you funny at first, but it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. So just everyone think about that. Be warned of the harm of alcohol. Noah drinks, alcohol is deception. And look what happened. Look at the harm. Look at the years and years of harm that's come from that. And let's be aware of that. Now, will not drinking alcohol save you from your sins? No, because you can't be saved by what you stop doing. You can't be saved by what you start doing. You can only be saved by putting your faith in what was done for you. Okay, what was done for you? Well, the Bible says we were created and then we sinned. That's all of us. You say, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, but you were, right? If you're a descendant of Adam, which you were, you were in the Garden of Eden and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. We all sin. We're born in sin. We all sin. But then came into our world one that wasn't born in sin. He he was of, of, of us. He was a man, but he had no earthly father. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus entered the world as predicted exactly at on the right time, in the right place. And he did incredible things. He did great miracles. He turned water into wine. Incredible. Think about that. Think about all the things that had to happen for that to happen that day. And then he died on a cross, taking upon himself, his perfect, innocent self, our sins. And I'd like to illustrate it this way. Uh, My left hand representing all of us, my wallet representing our sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Without God's intervention, this would be our plight. We'd all be going to hell. But there's good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let my right hand represent Jesus. He had no sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says he was made, watch, if you're in the room or watching, watch this. He was made sin for us. That happened on the cross. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you believe that he died for your sins and rose again, you are now as righteous as Jesus Christ. You are as perfect as God. You say, well, how come I still find myself sinning? Well, because you still have the old nature, but you are in the hand of God. When he looks at you, he sees his son. Okay. And one day we won't have that old nature. Won't that be a wonderful day? But until then, we have to guard ourselves against those things that cause us harm and our families and our friends and our world. And so we put our trust in Jesus Christ and the Bible says we're saved. Uh, Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever anyone believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's uh, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you're here watching, listening, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you, God invites you to do that right now.